Hello, adventurers! Before we get into this episode of Tales Unveiled, we have some exciting news to share. First off, we have a merchandise store with spooky apparel and Tales Unveiled themed goodies. You can find a link to our new store by heading to talesunveiled.com. On the book front, Jeff Provine has released two new books, Secret Oklahoma City and Haunted Oklahoma. Secret Oklahoma City is about little-known facts and points of interest, while Haunted Oklahoma explores ghost stories across the state. Also, Dennis Spielman has a new book of short stories, The Phoenix Universe, Volume 1. So please consider buying some stuff to support them, and enjoy this episode of Tales Unveiled. Hey Sam, this is Nathan Gunner, the editor-in-chief of Oklahoma Today magazine, and uh, I would love to talk to you guys about a cool and crazy little spot and a story down the street from where I grew up in Weatherford, Oklahoma. It's called Dead Woman's Crossing, and I think that this is a great oaky haunting and a cool... uh, 1905 true crime story you don't want to miss. So why don't you guys meet me out at the Heartland of America Heritage Museum in Weatherford, and I will take you guys out to Dead Woman's Crossing, and we'll get the whole story. This is Sam Saxon, along with Professor Joff Deroot, and you're listening to Tales Unveiled, where we travel across Oklahoma for ghost stories, as well as urban legends and local history. professor until the month of June. I did check in with him from time to time and he was either busy teaching or researching. He said he hadn't made definitive progress on the map left to him by Wendell Holmes Harrison. Anytime I did ask, he seemed more and more frustrated, so after a while I stopped inquiring. When I called the professor about the voicemail Nathan left for me, He was quite excited for a change of pace. Since we were both vaccinated, we carpooled to the Heartland of America Museum in Weatherford, Oklahoma, where we met up with Nathan. A family was just leaving as we entered the building, making us the only guest. Nedra and Judy Smith, who are not related, greeted us. After chatting for a bit, I pulled out my recording equipment and got set up on a table with an Oklahoma-themed map spread out on the surface that I had to work around. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. If you wouldn't mind, let's start with some introductions. If you could just uh, introduce yourselves and tell us about your role here at the museum. Okay, I'm Nedra Smith, and I'm the curator, they say. (laughs) But uh, everybody volunteers here four hours a week except me, and I'm pretty well here all the time, it seems like. But uh, the museum does pay me to work here. And go ahead, yeah. And I'm Judy Smith, and it, we have uh, different things. I'm kind of over the gift shop, and I order things and try to put it in, and we refix a lot of that. And uh, we've just, and then I'm over all the clothing, clear down to, if you see it, clear down to the end. I put all that stuff in, and then change that out. When you come in here, you'll see all that. But I just work a half a day from on Wednesdays from nine to one, 
And then if they call us and want us to come in, we work different hours and different for different people. But that's that's the way we work. Well, let's talk about the museum here. Uh, for visitors, what can they experience when they come here? The old days, really. Like we have a bedroom back there. We have a kitchen. We have a laundry room and mm -hmm. doctor's offices and just how we used how we used to live. I'll put it that way. You know, some old time things. Uh huh. What are some of the more popular or, I guess, picture photographic places that people like to take lots of pictures of when they come visit here? I think the cars, don't you? Yeah, they, we have one, one car they can get in yeah. and take pictures. They're really fascinated by the, those old cars back there. And then we have a buffalo over there that people can get on and take their picture. They like that. Tell us about the some of the attractions you have outside. We noticed like a little replica diner and some other neat stuff. Uh, can you tell us about what's mm -hmm. outside? The, yeah, the diner. Yeah, we have a diner that used to sit down on the west end of Main Street, and which is Route 66 going through Weatherford. And Elvis Presley would go from Memphis to Las Vegas to do his shows, and he'd go right down Main Street and stop there and eat. And we've got his signature on their guest book in there. I said, surely somebody in Weatherford got a picture of him eating in there. I wish we could find that. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you'll get lucky. Maybe one of our listeners will do some digging for you. Oh, there you go. That would be great. Uh, kind of expanding our scope a little bit, uh, tell us a little bit about Weatherford, Oklahoma, what there is to do here. We are part of Route 66. Uh, any history about the town you want to share that you have available uh, or even what it's like today? I don't know what to tell you. Our college. Yeah, our college and everything. We have Southwestern here, you know. And and we still have a plant out here where the big 3M plant used to be. It's not as large as 3M was. and mm -hmm. I don't remember the name of it, but they hire quite a few people out there. So. Do you got any like fun Route 66 tourist attractions? Besides you all, of course. Well, Stafford's Museum is right across the highway here. Mm-hmm. And we're getting that, uh, what was that wall I was complaining about earlier? Oh, the, the, the Vietnam Wall. We're, get, we're getting the Vietnam Wall here in Weatherford. It'll be down in that park, I guess, across from the city hall, although I wanted it out here so bad, <laughs> but I didn't get it. <laughs> but uh, I think that's our three main attractions. Mm -hmm. Well, our windmill tours, you know, we get those big windmill tours out of here. And there's one of the blades down there across from City Hall in that park that people can see how large they really are, you know. Yeah, those those blades are a lot larger than you might think they are. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that you have a room dedicated to ghost towns in Oklahoma. What do you have to show? Well, it's uh, pictures of the little towns of what's left of them mm -hmm. and the name of the town they're in in case you want to go out and look at it. I have drove out to three or four of them, but there's nothing there anymore. Maybe an old feed store or something in an old schoolhouse that's got hay stacked in it or something like that, you know. But, Why does but, Oklahoma have so many ghost towns? I don't know, but they're getting worse. I mean, they're really, I drove out west, northwest the other day and haven't been out that way in a while and them towns are just absolutely shutting down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know? March of Progress, I suppose you could call it. Yeah. 
One of them, I know. Um, I know one of the ghost towns that's out this way is Cloud Chief. Yes. Which is a very interesting story about how the U.S. Supreme Court. Do you know about this? Had to decide had. Uh, when they rebuilt Cordell, because you know Cordell is new Cordell, technically. Yes. Um, they wanted that to be the, the county seat. Cloud Chief was the county seat at the time. And the case, the people of Cloud Chief wanted to stay, the, keep being the county seat. The people of Cordell wanted the county seat. And the legal wrangling went all the way to the United States Supreme Court. Oh. Um, yeah. So that's <laughs> one of the, I know that's one of the good, that's one of my, that's one of my favorite ghost towns to drive out and see, even though there's not, a ton to see there, like you said. It's just there's a there's a monument dedicated to that and tells that whole story and it's really fascinating. So, yeah, that's a that's a good one. That's all I have. <laughs> End of presentation. I'll take you back to see the booth. Oh, great, for sure. You know. I switched Nedra and Judy to wireless microphones, and we proceeded on a brief tour of the museum. Our first stop was, of course, the Oklahoma Ghost Towns. I asked Nedra to describe the exhibit for our listeners. We actually have a book. I'll say it's gone now. Someone's reading it, I guess. <laughs> but it is just Ghost Towns of Oklahoma, and you just walk through and pick out some that you know. And mm -hmm. Curtis. A lot of your listeners will probably know a lot of these. Yeah, probably so. Cabby Loveland. Oh, there's Cloud Chief right there. You're there's Cloud about Chief, it. yeah. Yeah. Indian Homa. Mm-hmm. India Homa, yep. That's a Keaton, Brinkman, Vincent. Oh wow. Ingersoll. I love that that uh this silo in Ingersoll. That's a really that's a neat kind of roadside site that you can you can drive out there and see. Can you describe for our listeners? Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting silo uh, just because it's it's tall and brick versus you know like it, it just it doesn't it doesn't necessarily scream silo right away but it's it's got this kind of cantilevered roof it looks a little bit almost like an old church to me you know but it's just an old I farm know. building um, that someone just decided to get a little extra with the architecture I just think that's really cool. Um, Elmore City obviously is another very famous uh, Oklahoma ghost town, um, and also the place where the legend of the film Footloose was born. So that's a that's a cool one. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Strong City, Loco, Froso, Lavelle, Lugert, as in Altus Lugert. That's a good one. Uh, so if you go and visit the Quartz Mountain State Park and stay at the lodge, you will be sitting. You will be next to Lake Altus Lugert, and Lugert. The town of Lugert is under the lake now. They flooded the town to make the lake. Um, so that's one that's actually really neat. Kenton, out at the tip of the Oklahoma Panhandle. Very cool place to go if you're visiting Black Mesa. Not quite a ghost town, but not a ton of people there. One of my very favorite stories of Oklahoma history of all time is right here on this wall, Beer City. Beer City was a town that only lasted about two years. It was up in Texas County, right south of the Kansas border. The reason that's where it was is because at that time, the Panhandle was completely ungoverned. There was no government at all out there, and so it was just complete anarchy. It was the total Wild West, and Beer City came up as a place where, you know, if you were in Kansas, if you were on a cattle drive staying in Kansas, you could come over the border into the lawless part of, of what is now Oklahoma, come to Beer City, and uh, pretty much just live it up. You know, it was a little bit, it was kind of the Wild West Las Vegas a little bit. There was, there was very little law, there was... 
uh, pretty much anything you wanted. Uh, if you were a fan of vices, you could go to Beer City and get them. And it only lasted a couple years because eventually uh, it was brought under the same government as, as the state of when the, when Oklahoma became a state when government started forming out this way uh, Beer City kind of went away because its whole reason for existing stopped being which is it was completely lawless <laughs> so that's that's probably my very favorite Oklahoma ghost town story of all time so this is a very cool display I really like this and now I guess there's a Beer City coming back uh, there is they're opening a, a, a live music venue in Oklahoma City called Beer City oh yeah <laughs> I think that's uh, about something else though um, it's going to be cool, though. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of really neat – they're just right here. I'll say this is, this, is a, this is a great little exhibit because there's so much information and so much amazing Oklahoma history just right here in this little, in this little cubby, and I, I love this. Thank you for curating this. I just think this is great. <laughs> Thank you for stopping. There's just so much to learn, and I, I love it. This place just feels like – this whole museum feels like it's filled with, with great information. Let me tell and you a story you'll probably want to cut out, I'm sure, <laughs> but you can talk about haunted. See, that's always how the best <laughs> stories begin. One day, one of the volunteers and I were back here dusting, and she starts to dust this player piano. And, I mean, she's going like – and some man starts talking. Oh, I'm sorry. That plays it, when you step in there. Yeah. But when it started – she quit dusting the man stopped talking and she looked at me and I looked at her you know and so we started back and she goes like that and a man starts talking again and she said Nedra I'm so glad you heard that too you know yeah <laughs> but it's never happened again That's and I mean weird. I took that piano you can tell I pulled the wires out and traced them around to make sure someone wasn't playing a joke on us or what it was it really sounded like it's picking up a radio station somehow or another somehow. Huh. Very strange. But it's never done it again. I've heard Weird. of them playing themselves but never having accompaniment. Yeah. <laughs> I even went through that uh, Victrola back there in the corner thinking someone had something in there trying to play a trick on us, but there's nothing in there either. Wow. Have any other strange things happened around the museum? No, or not to me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> continued our tour through the museum, seeing exhibits about the Centennial, the Dust Bowl, World War II, famous Oklahomans, and recreations of early life in Oklahoma. One of those recreational displays prompted this discussion about life back then. Judy, I have a big question. This, uh, I don't know if listeners obviously can't see it, but there's this machine here that looks like this lady is being tortured in some way. <laughs> <laughs> She's hooked up to about a hundred wires, nice. and they're hooked up to her hair. And what is that doing? Is this, that this is an old home permit that they used to have all the time? They hooked people up to that. Excuse me. Oh my goodness! Women. I'm so glad. It's a wonder they had any hair. <laughs> well, here's a picture of them doing one. Yeah. Oh wow. It's awful. Oh my god, she looks so uncomfortable well the, it is looks yeah like a, fun looks like a scary movie doesn't it it does it really does look thing. like a horror film <laughs> it does look like a torture she thing it looks like me. the borg queen well, you know it had to burn their <laughs> yes it did yeah. it's awful oh 
In addition to the sights inside, we also browsed the attractions outside, which most notably included a revitalization of a Route 66 diner that Elvis visited. All in all, the museum had some impressive items in their collection. Before we left, we took some photos and said our goodbyes. Nathan took his Jeep and we followed him to the bridge known as Dead Woman's Crossing. On the drive there, Wendell's map slipped out from the professor's black leather notebook. I asked the professor if it was indeed the map that Wendell gave him, which he confirmed, and he told me he wanted to bring it along to investigate some data points. He didn't go into specifics, so I left the subject alone. A few minutes later, we crossed a bridge and parked on a dirt road overlooking the bridge. We had arrived to Dead Woman's Crossing. Nathan, tell us where you brought us out to. We are at a place called Dead Woman's Crossing, right outside of Weatherford, Oklahoma. And uh, this is kind of one of the more famous Western Oklahoma haunted spots. What happened here uh, is documented in the historic record. There was a murder at this spot in 1905, in July of 1905. Uh, Katie DeWitt James, a young woman, was murdered um, here by all accounts by a local prostitute who went by many names, one of which my favorite of her many names is she was Mrs. Ham, which, what a great name. I like to think that if I lived in the Wild West, I'd be Mr. Ham. But uh, Katie and Mrs. Ham met on a train. Katie DeWitt James had left her husband, taken her infant daughter, and fled out west to meet up with her parents. She was leaving her marriage. She met Mrs. Ham on the train. They disembarked in Weatherford. Uh, no one's quite clear why, because this was not Katie's destination. She was headed for Custer City, but she got off the train in Weatherford with, with her new friend, Mrs. Ham, who, by all accounts, offered to take her the rest of the way. She stayed the night in Weatherford. The two of them got in the stagecoach with the horses, and for whatever reason, this is not the way to Custer City, but they came out this way. There's a local house. It's not there anymore, but there was a house out this way. The residents saw their, saw their coach go into the tall grass, into the fields over this way. When it came back out, Mrs. Ham was riding it like a bat out of hell, as I understand it, and uh, came flying up, stopped at the house up the road here, handed the people there a baby, by all accounts, Katie's baby. The baby was dressed in clothes that were covered in blood. She gave them the baby, she rode back off into town. Katie DeWitt James was not ever seen alive again. For several months, people looked for her, for her body. There was a reward offered, her father offered a reward. Uh, finally, somewhere around about the spot where we're standing, I believe, a local man and his son came out and they found her skull with a bullet hole in it. Oddly, placed in a spot where search parties had been and been over and been over and been over, and all of a sudden, this random guy and his son were out, actually, I believe, trying to collect the reward. And they just happened to stumble across her, her, her body. Her skull had a, had a bullet hole in it. And uh, what had happened in the meantime was that Mrs. Ham was pursued. She was caught up with in Shawnee. And when the police started questioning her, she took poison and, and died right there, right there in the questioning. 
No one ever found out why she had killed, she denied killing Katie James. She claimed that she had passed her off to a group of men uh, out here in this field. Um, why she had the baby, why she gave it to a random family right up the road, why the baby was covered in blood, none of these questions were ever answered because she committed suicide in the middle of her initial interrogation. Her husband had an airtight alibi and no connection to the murder could ever be proven with him. And so the murder remains unsolved to this day, hundred and almost 120 years later. So what's interesting about this site is for ever since that murder, people have claimed that if you come down here in the dead of night, you will hear and maybe even see Katie wandering the banks of what's called Deer Creek right here, or Big Deer Creek, calling for her child, calling for her lost child. Those, those stories persist to this day. Uh, there have been a lot of paranormal and supernatural inve investigations out here. Nothing conclusive has ever been proven and the murder's never been solved. The murder's never even come close to being solved. No one, no one has a good motive except the husband and his connection was never proven. It was often thought that maybe he hired Mrs. Ham to kill his wife, but that kind of begs the question, why would she kill herself in interrogation without pointing the finger at him? That explanation doesn't entirely hold up in light of her actions. No one else really has a motive here. You know, there's, there's not, there weren't a lot of people gunning for this young woman, you know? Um, so we don't, we still don't know what happened. We still don't know what the story is. Nathan took a brief pause to recall an article he had read while the professor continued writing notes in his notebook. Um, by all accounts, there is a really great article um, in, an old, in an old issue of the Chronicles of Oklahoma, I want to say from 1982-1983, uh, by a local author who became interested in the story. This is a popular hangout for college students here in Weatherford. They come down late at night, they have a little to drink, and they, they wait for the ghost to show up with varying results. Was one of these college students you by any chance? It never was, no. Uh, I grew up around the corner, right over that hill over there. Actually, if you see these silos right over here, one has a top, one doesn't. Those sit on the street where I grew up. So uh, I knew about this legend from very young. I don't remember ever not knowing about it from very early age. It's, it's pretty well known here locally. I've never experienced anything here. I've been here late at night, once or twice, and never experienced anything. No one I know has ever experienced anything. The author of that Chronicles of Oklahoma piece claims to have had a lot of experiences with the ghost of Katie James. And uh, there are those who've wondered since then if, it seems that the report after that piece and after her claims of experiences, it seems that a lot of the activity and a lot of the reports um, died down. So, it's, so uh, there are people who wonder if, uh, me among them, wonder if perhaps just the writing of that piece, the telling of that story, somehow laid this spirit to rest. Um, I don't know, obviously. But you could still come out here. It's funny, one night I was out here, and at the stroke of midnight, sitting here and it's dark, and it's very quiet, all you could hear was the creek running. And... Uh, Right at the stroke of midnight, I'm telling you right at the stroke of midnight, a truck comes up over the bridge, lights off, creeps up, and sits. And it's the weirdest thing I've ever... There was just something so unbelievably creepy about it. You know, even though it's a very mundane kind of thing, just a truck on a bridge, 
right? But something so unbelievably creepy. And they creep up and it's completely silent and they sit there for a minute. And it was three college students and they started hollering out the window, trying to scare us. They saw us down here and were trying to give us a scare and they failed. But uh, that's about the only weird thing I've ever had, had happen out here. Um, it's a pretty, you know, it's just a tall overgrown, you can see it's just a, it's just a, a muddy creek bank with tall grass. But anyone who wants to try, I would encourage them. I would love to hear a story of something happening out here just, just for my own curiosity. Mm -hmm. Professor, have you heard anything? Uh, I've heard many things. I've uh, done quite a bit reading in the newspaper archives, which, as you were saying, it, it is a strange story that just keeps getting stranger a yeah. lot. Uh, a lot of the newspapers speculated at the time, oh, it could be a robbery, and others countered, mm -hmm. well, she only had $25 on her. Yep. Which, murder for a couple of hundred dollars in today's money, not unheard of. Yeah. Uh, the Arapahoe Bee had an article where they had found that Mrs. Ham and uh, Miss DeWitt, Mrs. James, uh, had been roommates in Arapahoe for hmm. a few months. Okay. Uh, and, in fact, had an altercation with Mr. James... Uh, broke his oh, arm uh, wow. while uh, Mrs. Ham held him at gunpoint uh, <laughs> for various um, marital crimes. Okay. Wow. But but no other newspaper seemed to substantiate that, and, and others it could have just been at Hitchcockian perchance meeting. Uh, but such a strange tale. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great early 20th century true crime tale because <laughs> it's one of those it's one of those crime stories where every avenue you go down to try to explain what happened, something stands in your way, mm -hmm. you know? It, it could have just been a crime of the moment, you know? And uh, Mrs. Ham realized what she'd done and couldn't, couldn't live with herself or didn't want to go to prison or for whatever reason, you know? That, that kind of, that's kind of the explanation that persists, but it still doesn't make a ton of sense because by all accounts, they were friends. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. Very strange. So, but a lot of people claim to still see yeah. Ms. DeWitt to this day. Yeah. Um, they say that you can hear the baby crying, even though the baby survived and grew up. Mm -hmm. um, they say you can hear wagon wheels going over the bridge mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, the gunshot. The gunshot. You can hear her calling out. That's mm -hmm. um, all things that people have reported down here. Um, um, but who knows? Yeah. I've heard also of appearances in a blue light, hmm. walking, um, blood-soaked dress, sometimes carrying her head with her. Others wow. headless, others total body. And it's interesting too, you know, even if you even if you posit that Mrs. Ham robbed her, killed her, crime of passion, crime of opportunity. So many people. There was a huge reward. Yeah, three hundred dollars mm -hmm. from no, I'm sorry, five hundred dollars from um, her father. Yep. And then the governor uh, added another three hundred dollars if they yep. could find a murderer and convict. Yep. So, eight hundred dollars. I don't know how much that would be in today's money, but a lot. I mean, I you know, eight hundred dollars is a lot for me now. Um, but uh, so there were just scores of people who came out here. Mm -hmm. And yet, when she was finally found, it was just in a very nondescript. It wasn't hidden. No one was looking very hard. They just came across her skull, mm -hmm. her body. And it sort of almost seems, and seemed at the time, that wherever she had been, she had been moved. Because she would have had to have been. Because the place she was found was a place that people had looked. Many, mm -hmm. many, many people had looked. 
and it's not like they would have missed her. So, were the head and body found together, or how, how was it found exactly? My, I, I don't know for sure. The the story that I have always read is that her skull was found, and very little, very little, if any, mention is made of the rest of her body. I don't know what you've yeah, discovered. Yeah, from what I've read of the newspapers, they do st talk about the skull and then the body nearby, okay. uh, hung up in trees, is what a lot of them like to say. Wow. Okay. So, which you could argue an animal may have dragged it out toward the creek for yeah, for a snack, but could be. Um, hanging it in a tree is a rather odd thing. Yeah. For for a creature to do, they yeah. should just finish it off. There. Unless it was a you know a, a mountain lion or something. Um, yeah, it just it, which... every detail about this story begs a lot of really weird questions mm -hmm, that don't mm -hmm. have answers. And it's been so long now, I don't think there's any way anyone will ever will ever discover what exactly happened here. Um, I will say an interesting footnote to this story. We featured this in a recent issue of Oklahoma Today when we profiled haunted places in Oklahoma. And our photography editor who wrote the story, Megan Rossman, actually was able to track down the fate of the child. And it appears that she, uh, it's actually kind of sad, she died of, I believe, polio at a pretty young age. I was at about 11 or 12. Oh, wow. Um, so there's really no, you know, and she was an infant when this happened anyway, but she would have been the only witness and <laughs> unable to remember or, or communicate the details of that. So there really is... There wasn't, it didn't take long before there was no one left um, who had any way of knowing mm -hmm. what happened here. So it will probably remain unsolved in perpetuity. And that's, that's kind of the makings of a restless spirit, don't you think? I concur. Yeah. But as long as her story is told, perhaps she can rest a little easier. Maybe. Maybe. But uh, it's a creepy place at night. It's a creepy place at night. You know, it's um, obviously like we're standing here and everything's green and rolling hills and it's just that great Oklahoma prairie beauty that we all love, but um, at night it's a different kind of place. You know, the bridge kind of looms and the darkness kind of encroaches and there's not a lot of local city light. It's a, I can see why people would feel it was haunted. You know, it's a, it feels haunted, mm -hmm. you know. This bridge, I was, telling, I was telling you guys earlier, this bridge washed out in the 80s. So the bridge that we're looking at is probably the third or fourth bridge to be here since then. So it's not the same bridge. The, I'm sure the course of the creek has changed over 120 years. Everything about this site is probably different than it used to be too. So finding what happened where, it's, I think we'll probably always wonder what happened to, to Katie DeWitt James. As we returned to my car, I switched my phone out of Do Not Disturb and discovered the following voicemail from Detective Valerie James. Hey Sam, this is Valerie. We just had a potential homicide and the details have me concerned. I have an idea that it could potentially be linked to George Grayson, but I need to give the details when you get back with me. Please give me a call and we can discuss it further.
As a quick refresher, Valerie was the detective who reached out to us about Wendell's death as the professor was the last one to see him alive. I texted her back and we agreed to meet at Iote Coffee in Oklahoma City. Hey there, Valerie. How's it going? Busy as always. How about you guys? Yeah, uh, been running around. We just got back from Weatherford, did a piece on Dead Woman's Crossing, learned some good stories out there. Indeed. Interesting. I can't wait to listen to it on the podcast. Also, I'm still trying to figure out if you guys are the better investigators or if I am. Well, I think together is always better. Exactly. More eyes, ears on the in the in the world. Yeah, exactly. And you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, teamwork basically. Teamwork. Teamworks yeah. make the dream work. But anyway, you said you needed maybe some potential eyes on something. So what's what's going on? Yes, I want to share these images with the two of you. Remember when George Grayson had mentioned that he wants his clock back? Yes, of course. Okay, so that stuck in my mind and popped out the moment that I saw the scene of this crime. So we're marking that as a potential homicide just because of the actual scene itself and the very specifics um, related to the murder. If you notice that the body is a male, probably 37, he's facing upright, his body is in a straight line, and then one of his arms is cut like the shorthand of a clock facing directly upward to 12 p.m. or 12 a.m. Then his other arm is extended in full length to what would be 11.55, five minutes leading up to that time frame. That kind of makes me think of that whole, you know, that five minutes till midnight doomsday clock that they use, you know, for, you know, global apocalypse, you know, or nuclear war and all that stuff. Perhaps it's uh, just how he fell or was pushed. I don't know. It looks very specifically staged. And then if you notice this message right here, it looks like it's written in the victim's blood. Hmm. And it reads TikTok Joff, G-E-O-F-F. Indeed. Well, it's the same spelling as yours, but there's, you know, Joff's not like a super uncommon name or anything. No, certainly. I know. It just seems weird. Something in my gut tells me that it could potentially be tied to George, but I know it's a long shot. It's just, I can't get it out of my head. So I wanted to get you guys, I wanted your eyes on it. And then if you could just kind of, you know, if you anything pops up or comes to mind that you think might be related to this specific. If, if I may instance. ask, where was this found at? At Lake Hefner on the south side. You know where they do mm. sailing lessons? Mm-hmm. I did a story on that. Um, no, not, is that that location's not familiar to me? No significance to you? Not really. And face doesn't look familiar to you? Did you have a name for the victim? Yes, his name is Chris Goldsmith. 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 I've known Goldsmiths in the past, but I couldn't place him. Well, I will give you more information as the case unfolds. And if you guys think of anything that comes to mind and can share it with me, that would also be incredibly helpful. And just, you know, be aware kind of keep your eyes open if it is short it is actually related to george i think you especially professor need to just be vigilant i should get home as soon as possible all right well, i'll get you home then all right well thank you for bringing this to our attention we'll yeah. keep you posted if we learn anything all right thanks for the coffee guys see you soon
Tales Unveiled is a production of the show Starts Now Studios and is produced by Dennis Spielman. The voice of Sam Saxton is Dennis Spielman, with Jeff Provine as Professor Jeff DeRoot and Christy Boone as Detective Valerie James. We would like to thank all of our guests for sharing their stories with us, and note that the opinions and stories told are that of the individuals and do not reflect of their employer, affiliates, and spirits mentioned. If you love Tales Unveiled and would like to help support us, we have some spooky merchandise for sale on our website. You may also join us on Patreon for exclusive rewards. Visit talesunveiled.com to uncover more. Before we go, I would like to leave you with this quote from Stephen King. We make up horrors to help us cope with the real ones.